The Old Testament reading for today comes from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. This is a text we have read recently uh, for Christ, uh, read this passage uh, before sitting down in that synagogue, claiming that He was the fulfillment of it. But I wish to read it again today. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I wish to read it again today because here, as Luke's Gospel develops, uh, we see that indeed He did come to do these things that Isaiah 61 spoke of. He came in fulfillment to this prophecy. And then the sermon text for today will be Luke 5, 12 through 32. Luke 5, 12 through 32. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes." the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Indeed, these are the words of the Messiah, Christ Jesus the Lord. And as I have said, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke, we see that He has indeed accomplished these things. Let us go now to Luke 5. And read verses 12 through 32, the sermon text for today. Luke 5, 12. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out 
and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. The passage that I have just read can be divided into three parts. You probably noticed those parts even as, even as I was reading. First, there is the story of the healing of the leper. Next, there is the story of the healing of the paralyzed man. And finally, there is the account of the calling of Levi the tax collector as a disciple of Jesus. And though each of these stories can stand alone, I've decided to take them all together. Thank you. And here is why. It seems to me that Luke has grouped them together for a reason. There is a theme which ties all of these stories together. So please allow me to explain what I mean before we begin to take this passage in its sections. In Luke chapter 5 and 6, we find three separate stories about Jesus calling His disciples to Himself. In Luke 5, 10 through 11, we learned about the calling of Peter, James, and John. Here in Luke 5, 27 through 32, we are told about the calling of Matthew. In, in, in Luke's gospel, he is called by the name Levi. He had both of these names. And finally, in Luke, 60, in, in Luke 6, 12 through 16, we learn of the calling of the twelve apostles. So then Luke is clearly wanting to tell us about the calling of Jesus' disciples or apostles in this portion of his gospel. There are three separate accounts of Jesus calling his disciples to himself. But notice that each of these accounts concerning the calling of these disciples is preceded by stories about things that Jesus said and did. And it seems to me that the stories are meant to communicate truth regarding the nature of the kingdom that Christ came to establish, the work that He came to do, and how he would go about accomplishing that work, namely by his word and through these disciples of his that he was calling to himself. Last Sunday, we considered the calling of Peter, James, and John. Christ called them to follow him, saying, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. But before this, Jesus performed a miracle involving a great catch of fish. The miracle was a sign. It signified truth concerning the kingdom that Christ came to establish. Christ would catch people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He would drag them from the abyss through the preaching of the gospel and bring them safely into the church, signified by Peter's boat. And indeed, that miracle that Jesus performed signified these truths, and then it was accompanied by the actual calling of Peter, James, and John. What were they called to do? Well, they were called to build Christ's kingdom and to bring in sinners through the preaching of the Word of God. Now all of that is review, but I give it to you because I want you to see that the miracle that Jesus performed communicated truth concerning what Peter, James, and John were called to do. They were called to follow Jesus, 
and to take part in the building up of his kingdom by fishing for men through gospel preaching. And I think that something similar is going on here with the call of Levi, who is also called Matthew. Levi is called to follow Jesus, but notice that Luke presents the story of his calling in such a way that truth concerning Jesus' kingdom and mission is also communicated, you see. Uh, Luke wants us to know that Levi was a tax collector and sinner. He associated with tax collectors and sinners. And here, Jesus was criticized for eating with these Uh, But Jesus clarifies in the calling of Levi, or in the calling of Matthew, that He came to to call people such as these to Himself. Uh, Those who are well do not need a physician, He says, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous uh, to repentance, but, but, but those who are aware of their sinfulness I have come to call. And indeed, the stories that precede the calling of Levi do illustrate or signify this truth very beautifully. Christ has come as the great physician. He proved it through the miracles that he performed. And indeed, when he called Levi to himself, it was signified or it was made clear that he came to call not the righteous but sinners, not the healthy but the sick unto himself. Levi's calling is described in verses 27 through 28. The text simply says, After this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I think you should know that tax collectors were despised by the Jews in Jesus' day. Concerning the call of Levi, the tax collector, John Calvin says in his commentary on, on Luke, that the tax house has usually been a place noted for plundering and for unjust exactions, and was at that time particularly infamous in the choice of Matthew or Levi out of that place, not only to be admitted into the family of Christ, but even to be called to the office of apostle. We have a striking instance of the grace of God. It was the intention of Christ to choose simple and ignorant persons to that rank in order to cast down the wisdom of the world. You may see 1 Corinthians 2.6. But this publican, or this tax collector, who followed an occupation little esteemed and involved in many abuses, was selected for additional reasons that he might be an example of Christ's undeserved goodness, and might show in his person that the calling of all of us depends not on the merits of our own righteousness, but on his pure kindness." Again, that is John Calvin in his commentary on the harmony of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, I think Calvin is right about Levi. Why would Jesus call this man to follow him? Why would Jesus appoint this man even to the, apostle, to the office of apostle, except to display his abundant mercy and grace? Christ came to save Men and women such as this, Christ would even appoint a man like this to the office of apostle. His grace is truly amazing. I want you to look with me now at verse 29. There we read, And Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, grumbled at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The saying of Jesus, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, seems to be the point of this entire passage. Not only this one, uh, concerning the call of Levi, but even the preceding passages, uh, having to do with the healing of the paralytic and the healing of the leper. Those miracles seem to illustrate this point here, uh, that it is those who are sick who need a physician. And of course, Jesus is here claiming to be the physician. So, just as it would not be surprising to find a physician associating with sick people, none of you would find that strange, would you? Uh, To see a physician drawing near to sick people, When people are sick, we tend to stay away from them, don't we? (laughs) But physicians do not. They go to the sick in order to care for them. So just as it would not be surprising to find a physician associating with sick people and sick people associating with a physician, neither should it be surprising to find Jesus associating with sinners and sinners with Jesus. For He came to heal them. You see, the scribes and Pharisees did not understand who Jesus was was, nor what he came to do. And that was at the heart of the problem here. Were he a mere man, an ordinary individual, then it would be surprising to see him associating with sinners. But he was no ordinary man. He is the Lord's Messiah. He is the great physician and healer of our souls. It is no wonder then that he would sit with tax collectors and sinners He sat with them, not to participate in their sin, not to join with them in their wickedness, but to minister to them, to call them to faith and repentance, just as a doctor ministers to his patient. So you can see that the scribes and Pharisees were perplexed concerning Jesus' behavior. One, because they failed to understand His identity and His mission. He is our physician who came to heal us spiritually. And two... They were perplexed because they failed to understand the severity of their own condition. When Christ said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, He did not mean that there are any who are righteous, for the Scriptures are clear, none is righteous, no, not one. That is Romans 3.10. What He means is this, none are righteous, all are sinners. And if a person is to come to Him, they must first know that they are an unrighteous sinner of need in need of healing. Stated in a different way, just as those who think they are healthy will never call a physician, neither will those who think they are righteous ever come to Jesus. And this was the great difference between these scribes and Pharisees who criticized Jesus and those who happily followed Him. Those who followed Him knew that they were spiritually sick, even dead, and in need of a physician. And they knew Jesus was the only physician that could cure their mortal disease. That is why they came to Him. They understood their need. They understood that they were spiritually sick, even dead, and in need of healing. And they also understood that Jesus was the one who could meet their need. They saw Him as the great physician. The scribes and Pharisees, at least these who did not believe, these who grumbled and complained about Jesus' behavior, they failed to understand both of these truths. They saw themselves as righteous, 
They did not see themselves as needy. And also, they did not understand who Jesus was. As the Lord's Messiah, He is the great physician who has come to heal His people, body and soul. So then, how are the stories of the healing of the leper and the paralytic related to this theme? Well, just as the miracle of the great catch of fish by Peter, James, and John signified that Christ would make them effective fishers of men in His kingdom, so too the miracles of the healing of the paralytic and leper signified that Christ is the great physician. He heals the souls of all who come to Him by faith, and He will heal their bodies perfectly on the last day when He returns to make all things new. So these miracles performed must be viewed as signifying these spiritual and eternal realities. They signify the nature of Christ's kingdom. They tell us what it was that Christ came to do and who He was and is. So let us now briefly consider the story of the healing of the paralytic. In verse 17, we read, On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Can you imagine the scene? Uh, That is quite a scene. Houses were constructed in such a way back then that this was possible for men to climb up on the roof and to begin to dismantle the roof enough in order to lower someone down as they did. But what, what faith, what effort they made in order to bring this friend of theirs uh, before Jesus so that he might be healed. So we are to imagine the scene. We are to imagine Jesus sitting there teaching uh, many people, uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law included, And then the roof begins to open up, you see, and debris begins to fall down. And this man who was paralyzed is lowered down right in front of Jesus. And in verse 20 we read, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. This is interesting. Clearly the men brought their friend to be healed physically. But Jesus pronounced spiritual healing instead. And I wonder... What do you think the paralyzed man thought when he heard the words, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Do you think he was disappointed? The text does not say. I hope he was not disappointed. In fact, I suspect he was overjoyed given his faith. So let me ask you, what would you think if you were in his place? What would you think if you were paralyzed as he was, and you come to Jesus to be healed of your physical infirmity. You're lowered down uh, by the hands of your uh, very dear friends. And then you hear the words, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Would you be disappointed by this proclamation, or would you be overjoyed? I hope you would agree that it is a greater blessing to have your sins forgiven than to be healed of even such a terrible disease. The blessing of physical healing will be enjoyed or would be enjoyed in this life for a time, whereas the blessing of spiritual healing will be enjoyed in this life and in the life to come for all eternity. And so the message was clear. Jesus here claimed, in front of all who were with him, he claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. Think of this for a moment. 
Jesus boldly and clearly in this moment claimed to have within himself the authority to forgive sins. The Pharisees and teachers of the law took notice of this, and they began to question amongst themselves, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? God alone. Uh, Who can forgive sins but God alone, they ask. And they were not entirely wrong, were they? God alone can forgive sins. They were right about this. For we sin against Him ultimately. But they were wrong in that they did not understand who Jesus was. Were He a mere man, then they would have been right to charge Him with blasphemy. But He is no mere man. He is the Son of God incarnate. He is the Lord's Messiah. He is the Savior that God has promised and provided. And for this reason, He can say, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Man, your sins are forgiven you. These words, uh, I hope, were the greatest blessing to this man who was paralyzed. And I hope you would agree with me, uh, friends, that these would be the greatest words that any human being could ever hear. Man or woman, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, This burden of sin is indeed very great, and the penalty that is due to us for sin is indeed very great. It is eternal condemnation. So to have that burden removed ought to be to us the greatest of all blessings. In verse 22 we read, When Jesus perceived the thoughts of the scribes and Pharisees, He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? The answer is that it is easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because there is no visible result uh, that is expected, you see. Uh, To say your sins are forgiven you is easier because... Uh, There is really no way to to discern whether or not the thing that has been pronounced really took place. But if Jesus were to say, rise and walk, then everyone could in a moment test and see if indeed He had the power to do the thing that He had just pronounced. But then Jesus in verse 24 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So you can see that the miracle of the physical healing of the paralyzed man was done by Jesus to prove that he the Son of Man, does indeed have the authority to forgive sins. Do you notice this? The healing was not done for the sake of the healing itself. It was done for a greater purpose in order to prove that He, Jesus, the Son of Man, possessed this authority to forgive sins. You should know, uh, brothers and sisters, that the title Son of Man that Jesus applied to Himself in this instance is very, very important. The Jews would have known immediately what was meant by this title. It is drawn from the prophecy of Daniel 7, 13-14, which is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. 
Uh, the Jews would have been very familiar with this text. They were waiting for the Messiah. They knew that the Son of Man would be the Messiah. Daniel was shown a vision at night, and he writes this, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that is, to God Almighty, and was presented before him. And to him, that is, to this one who is called the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, everyone in the room understood what he meant. He was in this moment claiming to be the Son of Man of Daniel 7. He is the Son of Man who is given this kingdom that will last forever and ever. He is the Son of Man who will be given dominion over all of creation. He is the one that Daniel saw standing before the Ancient of Days. That is to say, God Almighty, you see. Uh, Jesus was in this moment claiming to be this one when he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And by the way, this is the first time that the title Son of Man appears in Luke's Gospel. It will appear 24 times after this. It is always on the lips of Jesus. It was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. Yes, there is in this an emphasis upon his human nature. He is the Son of Man. Uh, but there is also an emphasis here upon his divinity for uh, this phrase, Son of Man, does carry that meaning within it as well. Now, if this is who Jesus is, and if this is the purpose for which he came, then the scribes and Pharisees should not have been surprised to see him eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, for he came to heal and save sinners and to bring them into his eternal kingdom. This Son of Man was going to be given an eternal kingdom, and he came to bring sinners into this eternal kingdom. Or to use the language of Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, those are the words of Christ in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It would be these who, by the grace of God, knew themselves to be sinners in need of a Savior that He would call unto Himself. But those who think that they are righteous will never come. For those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so Christ he is the great physician of body and soul. He came to heal us in a most thorough and profound way. And when Jesus healed this paralyzed man, he did it not for the sake of healing his physical ailments alone, but in order to demonstrate and prove that he is the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins on earth. Thanks be to God for who Christ is and what He has done. So let us now return briefly to the story of the healing of the leper. Leprosy is a serious skin condition characterized by a variety of symptoms, the most outwardly noticeable being the discoloration of the skin in patches. And one important thing to remember is that under the Old Covenant, those with leprosy were to be declared unclean and removed from the camp of God's people. So, those 
with a leprous disease did not only suffer physically, but they were afflicted socially and spiritually also. They were set off from the camp of God's people, and they were therefore barred from the temple of the Lord. And if you wish to read the laws concerning the leprous, you may go to Leviticus chapter 13. In Luke 5.12 we read, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So I want you to notice the faith of this man. He knew that Christ was able. And notice also his humility. He fell on his face and begged, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean, I know it, but I do not know if you are willing to do so. He comes humbly before the Lord and pleads with him to make him clean. Now Christ was willing, and he proved that he was able. Verse 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And in verse 14, he charged him to tell no one but to go and to show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. I think this is very interesting. Notice a couple of things. One, Christ did not disregard the law of Moses. We should remember that Christ lived under the old Mosaic covenant. He he was born under that covenant. He lived under that covenant. He even died and rose again under uh, that covenant. And so he was bound to keep the law of Moses. He himself kept the law of Moses, not only the moral laws that are contained there, but the civil and ceremonial laws too. And he commanded that others do the same. He told this man, who was healed of his leprous condition, to go uh, to the priest and offer up the sacrifices that were required according to the law of Moses. And if you wish to read the Old Covenant laws, concerning the offerings required for cleansing after a leprous disease, you may go to Leviticus chapter 14. Two, notice the little phrase, for a proof to them. I think this is also interesting. Some translations say, as a testimony to them. A testimony to what, we might ask? A proof concerning what? I think this was meant to be a testimony to the priests who were ministering there in the temple, that one greater than Moses, one greater than the old priesthood, and one greater than the old law was here. The law of Moses provided instructions for what to do with one who became leprous. They were to be declared unclean. They were to be put out of the camp. And the law of Moses also gave instructions for declaring a person to be clean again should the disease clear. But pay careful attention to this, brothers and sisters. Neither the law of Moses nor the priests of old possessed the power to make one clean. Did you hear that? I think this is really at the heart of this passage that we are now considering. Under the law of Moses, uh, the priests had the power to declare one unclean. They had the power to declare one clean again, should the disease be eradicated from the person. But neither the law of Moses nor the priests of old possessed the power to make one clean, really and truly. 
But Christ does. And the new covenant that He mediates does. He is the great prophet, priest, and king of this new covenant. And He possesses all power to heal His people and make them whole, body and soul. I emphasize this now, and I will not belabor the point too long. Uh, In order to show you the great difference between the old covenant and the new, the old covenant uh, did have uh, the power to declare people clean and unclean, you see. But it did not have the power to make them whole. It did not have the power to heal them physically nor spiritually, you see. It did not have the power to actually take away sins. Who has that power? It is Christ the Lord who has that power, and He demonstrates it here in the healing of this leprous man. And which covenant has the power to actually remove sins, to take them away and to make people righteous before God for all eternity? Which covenant has the power to accomplish that? Not the old, but the new covenant. And it is this new covenant of which Christ is mediator uh, that will bring us safely into our eternal inheritance. It is the new covenant that is the covenant of grace with Christ as head And so we trust in Him. When Christ healed this leper, it was a demonstration of this power. When Christ sent this healed man to the priest, it was both an honoring of the law of Moses and a testimony to the priests who ministered in the temple there that the one who is greater than Moses had arrived. In verse 15 we read, But now even more the report about Him went abroad in great Crowds gather to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We should remember that Christ was truly man. The eternal Son of God ministered to these sick and needy people through the human nature that he assumed. And so, where did Christ draw his power and strength from? He drew it from the Father, and he drew it from the Father through prayer. As he ministered to others, this was his practice. He withdrew to desolate places to pray. I'd like to move this sermon towards a conclusion now by offering just a few reflections or contemplations on it. First of all, brothers and sisters, friends, we must be careful to avoid the error that so many have made concerning the interpretation of these miraculous healings that Jesus performed. Did Jesus heal many of physical ailments? Answer, yes, He did. But that fact must be interpreted. What did these miracles mean? What did they mean? Well, two things. One, Christ has the power to heal us in the body. And two, He has the power to heal us in the soul. But this does not mean that it is always the will of Christ to heal us bodily now. And many have stumbled in this regard. They see Christ's, the account of Christ's miraculous healings in the gospel, and they assume that He has come for this purpose, to always heal those who have faith in Him. But that is not true. Uh, The rest of the scriptures will make this clear that that is not true. Christ did heal people bodily, This is a demonstration of the fact that He has the power to do so. And He will will heal all of His people bodily 
I might ask you, when? We must say, on the last day, when He returns to make all things new, when He raises the dead uh, and brings them into His eternal inheritance uh, bodily. He will bring them there bodily and they will have spiritual bodies that will never see corruption again. Christ has the power to do this. When will He do it? On the last day when He returns to make all things new on the day of our resurrection. And He has the power to heal us spiritually. Uh, This is clearly seen throughout the passage that we have considered today. When does He make us whole, spiritually speaking? When does He bring forgiveness to us? When does He heal us in the soul? He does this now. For all who have faith in Christ, their sins are forgiven them. They are justified, they are adopted, and then they are progressively sanctified, even in the here and now. These miracles must be interpreted. And to think that God's will is to make His people healthy, wealthy, and prosperous now is a misinterpretation He forgives the sins of all who have faith in Him now, and He will raise these up on the last day bodily and give them incorruptible life in the new heavens and earth. Thanks be to God. Secondly, these things that happen must be understood as a demonstration of the power of Christ's kingdom and the blessing of Christ's covenant. Christ came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Do not forget that. What was Jesus doing as He ministered in this this region? He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and these miracles were a demonstration of the power of His kingly rule. As King of His kingdom, Christ has power over sin, sickness, and death, and the covenant He mediates offers true cleansing in the soul and the eternal healing of the body to all those who believe upon Him. Thirdly, as we consider these things that Christ has done, we should think also of who He is. We must think of who He is. He is the Son of Man of Daniel 7. He is the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. He is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. In Christ, the person of the eternal Son took to Himself a true human nature, a human body, and a human soul. And why did He assume a human nature, body and soul? Answer, so that He might redeem His people and heal His people, body and soul. These miracles that Jesus performed were a demonstration of His ability to heal those who come to Him in faith, body and soul. Isn't this marvelous to consider? Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to ponder this truth more and more. Is it true that Christ came so that He might say to you, Man or woman, your sins are forgiven you? Yes, He came for this purpose. And I have already said that this is the greatest of all blessings, to have your sins forgiven so that you might be made right with God and reconciled to the Father. Uh, This is the greatest of all blessings, to have your sins forgiven. But do not forget that Christ assumed a true and full human nature, body and soul, you see. He did not come only to redeem your soul, in other words, but He came to redeem and rescue and save your body too. I think this is something we must ponder even more and more. To know that Christ gave us the hope of life everlasting in the new heavens and new earth as whole persons, body and soul. What a great truth this is. And it is all rooted in the fact of the incarnation. 
the fact that the eternal Son of God took to Himself a true human nature, body and soul, so that He might rescue us and redeem us and bring us into our eternal inheritance as whole persons, body and soul. Fourthly, as we consider these things that Christ has done, I think we must be provoked to think soberly concerning our own neediness so that we might run to Christ with humility and faith. Men and women in sin do tend to think of themselves as self-righteous and self-sufficient. And it's insane. I don't think this is too strong of a word, in fact. It's insanity, really. It's foolishness, for sure. For all of the evidence points in another direction. We are sinners. And even those who do not have access or regard for the Ten Commandments should be able to see this plainly. We are sinners. We are sick in the soul. Our minds are darkened. Our affections are disordered. And we will to do that which is contrary to God's moral and natural law. This is true of the whole human race. This is our natural condition now that we have fallen into sin ever since Adam did so. We need a soul physician, do we not? This should be plain to all. And here we see in the scriptures that Christ is held forth as the only soul physician who can heal us. He is the only one who can make those who are spiritually dead live. Excuse me, alive. And we are clearly not self-sufficient in the body either. Have you ever thought of this? How do we not think of this? Our bodily existence depends on so many things external to us. Have you ever thought about the fact that we could not live for a moment apart from this world that God has made? Have you ever considered that? Right now the air you are breathing is God's creation. Uh, This world in which we live is God's creation. We eat food that comes from His hand ultimately. We drink water that flows from Him, you see. And we, individually, could not exist for a moment apart from this world that God has made. We are not independent, uh, friends. We are not self-sufficient. Not in any way, shape, or form. Our entire existence, our entire existence, body and soul depends upon God who made us. It depends upon God who sustains us perpetually. It is God who upholds us and provides for every need. And I wonder how men and women can go on living in this world being oblivious to that reality and with pride they they beat their chests as if they are self-sufficient, not knowing that they are but a breath. They are but a vapor. And if God's will is to remove His sustaining power, they would fall to nothing in a moment. And what about physical death? How do we live in this world and not think of the fact of physical death? Who will deliver us from that? Only Christ can. For He is the one who lived, died, and rose again. Christ is the only physician who can heal us and sustain us bodily for all eternity. And so here I am simply exhorting you, friends, to be sober concerning your great need. 
be sober concerning your great need and run to Christ who has redeemed us and who heals us body and soul provided that we trust in Him. I think that is the example that this leprous man and the paralytic along with his friends, that is the example that they set for us. They were deeply aware of their great need and they looked at Jesus and they saw that He was the solution and so they ran to Him. The leprous man ran to him and fell on his face and, and begged him, saying, I know you are able, and if you will, you can make me clean. And the friends of this paralytic also ran to Jesus and did everything they could to bring their friend before him so that he might be made whole. We must do this as well. We must be sober concerning our great need. And we must run to Jesus knowing that He is the great physician that God has provided for us. Fifthly and lastly, let us not be surprised, as the scribes and Pharisees were, when Christ calls sinners to repentance and invites them to commune with Him at His table. For those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick And He has not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. May we be faithful, uh, brothers and sisters, to cast the nets of the gospel far and wide, trusting that Christ will rescue His people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light according to His will. And let us not be surprised when it is those who the world might uh, regard as being particularly sinful who come, you see. Those who are puffed up with pride and a sense of self-righteousness will never come to Jesus. They will never come. Sometimes it is those who have their life all in order who are at the greatest disadvantage in this regard. Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes it is those who have their life all in order, who have a nice home and a nice family and a full bank account, who have food on the table. You see, sometimes they are at the greatest disadvantage, humanly speaking. For here they are tempted to think of themselves as being self-sufficient and self-righteous. Sometimes it is the good people in our societies who are at the greatest disadvantage because they look in upon themselves and they go, I am a good person, you see. I really am. Compared to those who are around me, I'm a pretty good person. You see, that was the attitude that the scribes and the Pharisees had. They thought themselves as being righteous in and of themselves. They thought that they were well. They did not realize that even they were sick and in need of a physician. And that is the thing that I am pressing you with even now. Let us not be surprised when sinners, those who know themselves to be sinners, come to Jesus and bow before Him and plead with Him to bring healing to them. For they are the ones who know that they are sick and in great need. May we be faithful to welcome these into the church and to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And I say, Lord, have mercy on this world and strengthen us for this work as well. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ Jesus, the great physician of our souls, also the one who died bodily, was buried bodily, and who rose again bodily. Our hope is in Him. We know that He is the one who is able to heal us. He is the one who is able to rescue us and to bring us safely into the eternal inheritance that He has earned, body and soul. Our trust is in Him. Would you make us faithful to preach Christ? 
to proclaim this good news of the gospel. Help us, O God, to be faithful, and we pray that you would have mercy to call sinners to faith and repentance, for we know that if you do not work in this way, none will come. And so, God, I pray that you would convince sinners of their sin, of their great neediness, and I pray that you would hold forth Christ to them as the solution, as the one who is able to meet their every need. And may they run to Christ and cling to Him now and from this day forward. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things and all of God's people say, Amen.